Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. The voice is sounding good today, Sid. I don't know. Did you sense it? Mm-hmm. You sensed it, right? It's, it's kind of deep today. The instrument it's gravelly, is tuned and ready to, ready to go. You know, I think it's just excitement because we're finally going to do it. We're finally going to talk about coronavirus. Oh, yeah. Well... <laughs> Now, don't say that because as soon as you say that, there there's a section of our audience who's going to go no. But I <laughs> no, it's good. It's very it's 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 a good time. I just got my uh, my weekly after vaccination check in reminder. Literally, as we were just talking. Well, I, I there were a couple things that uh, we we got a lot of emails requesting. Yeah, you know some some questions answered, a little bit of clarification on. Um, and I thought it would be worth – I mean, I don't want to do an update. Like, there, there's places you can go look at the numbers of cases and stuff, and for a lot of people, you're living that. But specifically addressing two things. One, the variants, um, because I think especially very recently there was a an article that came out about the variants and, and vaccine efficacy. And I noticed there was a large gap between what the – article and the data actually said about that and what the headlines um, said about that. Yeah, I've been I've been bothering you with some questions about that. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things that prompted us to want to talk about this today. Uh, that was definitely part of it. And then the other thing I've been receiving very recently a lot of tweets and messages and emails about is the question of vaccine incentives. Um, and we'll get into the West Virginia specific ones because – because they're spicy. Oh, boy. Baby uh, dogs on the prowl. They're spicy. And part of those questions are, is West Virginia really doing this? Um, I'll, you know, spoilers. The answer is yes. And, for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, secondly, it's an interesting question, the idea of incentivizing vaccines in this way. Is there a history for that? Is there evidence for that? Is that something that would work? Um, so there is there is some history to this show this episode okay? because I, I do want to talk about like, why would somebody think that was a good idea? It's not, it's not that wild. Um, okay. But let's start with the variants because I think that's the thing that is on a lot of people's minds. Is my vaccine still working? If I got it, hopefully you did. Uh, I did. You know, I did actually personal. Well, I know you did that illicit non-street legal AstraZeneca <laughs> pumping through my veins. Government says it's too powerful. <laughs> Uh, straight from Oxford to us with no yeah. FDA infringement. <laughs> I don't need the man getting in my way. 
So we have incredibly effective vaccines against COVID-19. That is the... Appreciate it. Like headline that should trump all other headlines that keep going out there. We have incredibly... Not the greatest word choice, but go on. You know what I mean. (laughs) That should um, usurp all other (laughs) headlines. (laughs) Worse somehow. Worse. (laughs) It's more obvious by the effort. At the time of this recording, and you can follow this if you go to cdc.gov you can watch their like coronavirus tracker which not only keeps track of all the cases in your area and in the country and all that kind of stuff but keeps track of all the variants and what proportions are various places keeps track of vaccination rates it, down to the county level um all these things are being tracked so you can go this is all open information you can go check it out at the time of this recording 41.6 percent of the u.s population is fully vaccinated that's of the entire U.S. population, so not just those eligible. But I think that that's an important number to track because while it is um, nice, like, morale-wise to mm-hmm. see that if you just go to the people who are actually eligible, that number goes up. And if you go to specific high-risk groups like people over 65, that number goes up even higher. Mm-hmm. That's all good news. When we talk about things like herd immunity, when we talk about the idea of enough of us being vaccinated to protect those who aren't, is not there yet. Right. Which, you know, I mean, we're getting there. That's It's not bad news, but it's a reminder that we've still got work to do, right? Yes. Part of that work is approving the vaccine for, you know, everybody. But we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, And I think I should preface, I am going to mainly focus on the situation in the United States. Um, That's where I have most of my data. Uh, And that's where I understand as a medical professional working here, what the situation is on the ground. Um, Obviously, we still have a huge global issue in terms of vaccine availability. Absolutely. Um, The vaccine distribution has been incredibly inequitable. And we have some countries like ours, which are super saturated with vaccines, and other countries where it is still rare to come by outside of those in specific like healthcare professionals, high-risk fields and things like that. Yeah. Um, So... You know, that I, I think it's always important to remind, you know, our listeners of that, that we are so privileged to be having a conversation about incentivization for vaccines in this country um, and not a conversation about how the heck do we get vaccines. Yeah. But what other issues are there? Well, first, the variants are causing concern um, as we're trying to get everybody vaccinated for a couple reasons. Um, one is that many of these seem to spread more easily, right? That's that's what we keep hearing about these new variants. And that, that headline, if you see it, is true. These tend to be more contagious. They spread more easily um, than the original recipe, I guess, if you <laughs> – wild new type. extra crispy variants. Technically, wild type is what we would call – Oh. The first, the first virus, um, the one that was originally isolated. Um, and so we're, it's kind of a race, right? If these spread more quickly but are not necessarily more deadly, we don't necessarily have that data to prove that they're more dangerous, just that you're more likely to give them other people to other people if you get them. So now the you know, r- rush to get people vaccinated becomes more urgent. But the other concern is that will the vaccines that currently exist – cover these new variants? Will they still be effective? Um, And that's probably the scarier of the two, right? One is just a matter of moving quickly. The other is, will moving quickly even work? So the first variant that you may have heard of, and I don't remember hearing it called this a lot, the alpha variant. They just, I read a story about this. They just decided to like start 
rebranding these to make them easier to like, I think probably to avoid the old Spanish flu thing of like call out, naming yes. them by a region. You well, know, they're, I think you're exactly right. That's exactly why um, I'm going to, I'm going to regionalize two of the variants we talk about only to give you the new names so that you understand what I'm talking about. Um, because I noticed that too, the, some of the older names are being replaced with these alpha, beta, gamma, delta, these new names. Yeah. Which I, I approve of that idea. They are going to be, I think, harder to remember now <laughs> because we rem- we learned them one way. But it's a good idea. I think we should be doing that. Um, so the alpha variant has replaced the wild-type virus in many places, if not most places. That, that has taken over. Um, so, like, if you think about what is spreading widely in the U.S., for instance, right now, we're talking about the alpha variant. We're not talking about the wild-type virus that was first detected in Wuhan. What seems like many, many a million years ago, (laughs) but it wasn't. Um, The good news is that the vaccines still appear very effective against that one. That's why you haven't haven't I think heard as much about how it overtook everything, um, is because we kind of thought it was still working well against the alpha variant. Um, But like the bad news, like many of what are called VOCs, variants of concern, there are variants of concern and variants variants of interest. (laughs) So like, and there's qualifications for each of those. Those are like, are there some maybe chill variants where they're not very bad, and it's like, oh, this is a good variant. Variants of no concern. Yeah, variants of zero concern. Very good. Chill, chill variants. I'm sure, but they don't maybe track those quite as closely. Once they find them, they forget about them and pay more attention to the others. Um, but again, you can look all this up on the CDC website where they list what are uh, U.S. specific variants of interest, variants of concern, and and what the uh, criteria are for those different you know, categories. But like many of them, the alpha is more contagious, which is the theme. You're going to hear that repeated again and again. They're more contagious. Um, The other variant that's causing concern globally, although not circulating widely in the U.S. yet, which, I mean, you just have to assume it's just a matter of time with all of these, you know. If one is out competing the other strain, so to speak, in the sense that it's more contagious, so you're seeing a rise in those cases while you see a fall in like the alpha cases, it's just a matter of time before it gets everywhere. Yeah. Don't trick yourself into the thing we all did in January uh, of 2020 where we're like, I don't think it's actually I don't think be, it'll get here. I don't think it'll be a problem here. Uh, the Delta variant. This variant originally isolated in India is now taking over the Alpha variant in many places like the UK just recently. I think they have – it has it has come into the lead. It is more prevalent than the Alpha variant. New cases. Um, So the incidence, I should say, is higher Uh, because it is even more contagious Mm. than the alpha, than the original, than, you know, like we've said. Um, Most new outbreaks are associated with this Delta variant. And uh, while the jury is still out at this point, honestly, as to whether this one might be slightly more dangerous. So not just more contagious, but can it – is it more likely to make you sick? Is it deadlier? Um, We don't think so, but we don't know for sure, right? Mm -hmm. Because – that that piece is going to follow. Like you're going to see if you're if you're monitoring the genomic situation. Like you're monitoring new strains and testing periodically to see what or not strain but variant. What variant is out there? If you're monitoring and monitoring and monitoring, and you start to see a higher proportion of these Delta variants, you wouldn't see the increased rates of hospitalization and then increased fatality until later. Mm-hmm. So we don't think it's necessarily more deadly, but that's kind of still a question mark. 
Um, is it theoretically more dangerous? Um, we we fear reinfection with it. That's been one thought. Are we seeing new cases because people who had alpha and recovered are now getting delta or people who had wild type and recovered are now getting delta? The, the data has not supported that as of yet, that that's not okay. really the case. Um, and we know that it has at least four specific mutations that make it spread more easily. Um, that's the level I, if, if that science brings me comfort, <laughs> if that level of detail might bring you comfort, we are understanding how this thing is changing down to like, like I said, there are four tiny mutations of this mutation and it's genetic code where we know exactly why it is what it is. They're mutation. Oh, you're saying that there's four little things that are different about mm -hmm. okay. four little differences that make it more contagious. Um, and we understand each one of them and, and why that is happening. Um, scientists are following all of this so closely. And again, this data is all widely available too. You can look at all this online. I think it is a little denser. It's a little harder to parse. I mean, even for me, like I'm as a medical professional, I understand it conceptually, but I'm not, you know, viral genetics are not my specialty. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's still, you can look it all up. The big question you with this. You should have asked me for help, babe, if you were struggling with oh, that. Uh-huh. I absolutely would have just waited in there. And uh, I'm a white guy, so I probably, I feel sure. like I could have. Explained it to me. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I As a man. To, you've done so much for me over the years mm -hmm. in science communication. I feel like if you were, if you're, if, if you've been like, ah, oh, shucks, this was just too tough. I would have been like, what's going on? Maybe I could help. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can, yeah, I can hear you saying that. No need to get frustrated. Let's mm -hmm. do this together. You mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like when you're woodworking and I come in and say, well, I don't know anything about tools or woodworking, but maybe I could figure it out for you. Yeah. And I'm always very gracious mm -hmm. <laughs> in accepting that help. Oh, wait. I've never done that. That's so weird. I wonder what the difference is. Well, the difference is I didn't do it either. It was just a joke <laughs> for the podcast. Now move on. Uh, the big question with this Delta variant um, and with all the other variants we've heard about, there's the Beta variant, which initially they were calling the South African variant. Right. And now – That one was earlier, right? That, mm -hmm. that one I feel like you heard a lot about a little bit ago. So now we're calling it the Beta variant. Okay. Um, and the Gamma, uh, which is – I don't feel like it was called the Brazilian variant, but maybe they talked about one out of Brazil. Anyway. I don't remember that. The gamma. So the beta and the gamma and the delta are the ones that we're all kind of more worried about than the alpha at this point. They are all more transmissible. Again, um, the question is, are the vaccines as effective against them? So there was a recent study that was published in The Lancet, and it specifically looked at the Pfizer vaccine. So that's the only one we have a good amount of data for. There's some scattered data for some of these things from the um, mm -hmm. Oxford or AstraZeneca vaccine and the Johnson & Johnson or Janssen Vaccine, there's nothing so far that I've seen um, published yet from the Moderna. And this is the thing that got all the media coverage. This study that came out in The Lancet just this past week, and mm -hmm. then you saw all the headlines. This is where it came from. So they looked at the Pfizer vaccine against the Delta, Alpha, and Beta variants. Okay. Okay. And what it found, like I said, has been widely widely reported, but not necessarily well reported. Um, first of all, I would say, again, your the takeaway point is that the vaccines still seem to be very effective against all variants of concern so far. That's the main takeaway, I would say. It did show a couple of things, though, that we do need to know and monitor and be concerned about. And I think it's, it's important to be very clear about that. It wasn't all rosy, like, yep, works just as well against all the variants. No, it didn't show that. But the idea that it showed this catastrophic deficit in the vaccines, which I think is what was sort of hinted at in some of the headlines, is not true. 
Yeah, I we I actually was was looking at this right before because like I had seen some of these headlines pop up and like I feel like the media needs to get their act together the way that they're reporting like take a beat and say like do I actually know what I'm because they are there's some fear mongering going on that they mm-hmm. need to be uh, you saw it a lot I think when there would be incidents of side effects for the vaccines like the Yahoo News story about this exact topic is the Delta variant of COVID-19 just got even scarier. Like, can we do better, please? Can we, like, be adults about it? Thank you. Okay. Well, I I think you're exactly right because it's not, I mean, it's not scary. It's overall good news. Um, But if you don't acknowledge the places where you can do better, uh, then, well, why are you even... I don't know, in science. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, you know, if you're not seeing problems and trying to perfect the thing you're working on to, to work even better and address things, which obviously scientists are. I mean, that's why they do these things. So they can look and go, hmm, how can we address this moving forward? Is there something we're missing? Um, not so that we can be scared because being scared doesn't seem to help us very much. Hell yeah. No. Uh, so it. Uh, Like I said, it showed a couple of things we needed to know. First of all, one Pfizer shot was found to be pretty good against the original wild-type strain, right? Like, we learned that as things went on. Like, I know it's a two-shot regimen, but you get pretty decent protection even after the first one. So that's good news um, because while you're in the midst of your vaccine series, you already are quite, not fully, but quite protected. So that was something we all really liked. Uh, This is not, and it's only slightly less robust against the alpha variant. However, the reduction of efficacy of one shot of the Pfizer against the Delta and Beta was much more significant. Okay. So the idea that we could get away with just one shot maybe of the Pfizer seems to have dissipated with this. Like, well, maybe against the old the old variants, but against these new ones, that second one is going to become really important because after two shots, that gap was bridged considerably. It wasn't found to be as effective uh, against the Delta and Beta as it was against the original wild-type virus. Um, But the difference was pretty marginal. And it was still an incredibly effective vaccine. If the numbers that came out, which are in the 80 percentile, in the 86, I think, percentile range, effectiveness against these new strains, if that was um, the original number that came Mm -hmm. out with the vaccine, we would have all celebrated, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because some of the vaccines that are in use are in the seventy percent range. Yeah. Like, so why I mean, why is a reduction to the eighty mid eighties? Why is that bad? Why are we focusing on it at all? When I mean, here's the thing. You, I, this is my opinion. After hearing you talk, we shouldn't be sparing a thought for these variants currently. When, like, vaccine one hesitancy and two like supply line issues and production, those are what we should be focused on. Like it. The not these not the variants right like that if you're going to be worried about something is what I, I'm is what I'm saying not like the government shouldn't be but like if you personally as a human being want to be worried about something be worried about like I yes those things yes no I think okay yes I'm gonna get there I have I have the takeaway points what I do think is important that we could all as just you know people not necessarily the scientists involved in making this stuff but just people living through this. I think there are some takeaway points from this that are helpful, but I agree with you generally that this is not where our focus should be right now is like people trying to make it through it. Um, I want to talk just briefly about 
how this study was done to understand what we can learn from it. Uh, but before I do that, we got to go to the billing department. Ah, well, let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. From the internationally acclaimed creators of Who Shot Ya comes the movie podcast, Maximum Film, starring producer and film festival programmer Drea Clark as a woman bound by passion. I saw this eight months ago on the festival circuit. And I loved it. Film critic Alonzo Duralde as a man corrupted by greed. Why watch one Hallmark Christmas movie when I can watch seven? 
and comedian Ifiwariwe as a man protecting a love that society simply won't accept. I think Pacific Rim is a perfect movie. And if you can't accept that, then I want you out of my life. From the makers of the movie podcast, Who Shot Ya, comes Maximum Film. That's right. We changed the name of our show to Maximum Film. But don't worry. We're still a movie review show that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. So tune in to Maximum Film at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. back of my seat is all cold because I've only needed the edge of my seat waiting <laughs> to hear about how this vaccine study was conducted for the Lancet. They're doing this big, I'm going to be, I'm going to be brief. I'm not going to get in. I, I read all the details so that I could summarize it for you and you wouldn't have to read all the boring stuff. Oh, thank you. <laughs> they're doing a big study in the UK called the Legacy Study and they're taking um, basically like antibody levels. They're taking serum from people who got the vaccine, healthcare workers largely, and periodically testing them. And there's this big, giant study to collect lots of data so that we hopefully in the future can understand better um, why do some people get so sick? What are the risk factors to get so getting so sick from uh, COVID-19? And then um, what treatments might work better in the future? So there's this big, giant study. And as part of um, the serum that they've collected, you know, from all these individuals in this study, they were able to do this this other research. So basically what they did is they took serum from somebody who's vaccinated. So like, let's say you're a healthcare worker and you got one vaccine. Then they would take some of your, you know, vaccinated serum and they would add it to some infected cells in a Petri dish. Okay. And there would be a Petri dish with some wild type infected cells, some with the alpha variant, some with the delta variant, um, and basically look to see how effective it was at stopping, you know, replication and entry into the cells and infection as a, as a model of stopping infection. Okay. Right? Right. And then they would dilute that and put it in again and dilute it and put it in again. And from each of those dilutions, they could calculate how many neutralizing antibodies were in there. Okay? This is how they come up with these um, concepts of how effective it is. Okay. This is like the stuff that's actually being done when they then – publish that percentage. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, because you can't just, I mean, it's hard to do that, like, in the human body, I would imagine, like, to, to run those tests on actual people. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> that would be, um, it would be very difficult to say, hey, we have this new highly contagious strain that may or may not be more deadly, and what we would like to do is give you one vaccine and then give it to you and see what happens. Did we mention the Starbucks gift cards? Because that is part of the <laughs> equation. I don't know. Okay, you're walking away. All right. Basically, what they found is that it it was harder to that you didn't have as many neutralizing antibodies to the delta and beta variants as you did to the alpha and wild type. There was like a slight reduction to the alpha and then a, a more and then a statistically significant reduction for the delta and beta. After one dose, the number was much lower. After two, there was a seventeen percent reduction is the number they came up with. Okay. Um, what does that mean? Con- contextualize that for me. That the vaccine is 17% less effective against the Delta variant than it is right, against Right, but the, what is it practical? Practically speaking, what's it mean? Like, will you still get sick? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Theoretically, there are going to be more breakthrough infections with that, the Delta I, variant. I but se- I don't know. When I, I mean, see 17%, what I, the, the question for me as a layman is, does that mean there's an 83% chance I won't get it? And there's a 70% chance I'll get it just as bad as everybody else. Or there's an 83% chance that I will, like, 
are we talking about a reduction in power or reduction in like binary? Yes, no, you are defended or not defended against COVID. Um, we're not sure yet. Okay. We don't know if that's a reduction in like asymptomatic infections, symptomatic infections, hospitalizations, serious infections, deaths. What we know is that you don't have as many neutralizing antibodies to these new variants as you do to the original. 17% less, you yes. might say. Yes. Got it. That's okay. what it means. All right. Um, so theoretically, I mean, what? and you can look, there are charts where people have taken this data and sort of extrapolated it to what that means. And again, that's where you, that's where you get that, like, I think 86%. Based on this data, we would extrapolate it that it is 86% effective in preventing serious disease, hospitalization, death, blah, blah, blah. And like... I think I believe the chart said eighty-two percent effective in preventing all infection. Yeah, which are still great numbers, but obviously less than the original. What ninety-four percent? I think for the Pfizer. So, and there's problems with comparing all these numbers, and we're extrapolating things based on models, and so like there's a lot, there's a lot of variant in there. It's Got not it. it's not so easy as saying so these numbers are hard. Math. Like it's not hard math. You. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that that we're we're still trying to piece some things together. Um so what does all this mean? First of all, they found that an older age made you more at risk for having a low number of circulating neutralizing antibodies, okay. right? Which are what the vaccine are supposed to make you have. We know that's true anyway. We know that's true for vaccines. Generally right. speaking, the older you are, the your body is not as good at generating that immune response. We know that. Second, as time since vaccine increases, your number of neutralizing antibodies decrease. We knew this already. Right. We already were seeing this. That like in these studies that many of us are in, as they as they take our blood and measure our numbers of neutralizing antibodies as time goes on, the further we get from that second dose, the lower those numbers get. We don't know exactly what that always means for immunity because, as we've talked about before, there are others. There's that memory, that humoral, that memory immunity that your body has, where right. even if you don't find the antibodies, your body still remembers. And in T cell mediated immunity, all these things that are sort of immeasurable in this study, they're measurable, but not. We're just not not like that. Okay, right. so we don't know what that means, but we do know that those numbers go down. Third, the vaccine still works extremely well against these new variants, the Pfizer at least. And fourth, we still don't know what any of this, as I've already kind of alluded to, we don't know what this means in terms of actual disease. They're doing all this in cells in a Petri dish because it's what they have to do. Sure. But we don't know what the Delta variant is going to look like when it plays out like in real life. Sure. If a vaccinated yeah. person gets exposed to the Delta variant, does this just mean that it provides them less protection from infection at all? Mm -hmm. And they're more likely to carry it asymptomatically, mm -hmm. or does it mean they're more likely to get a severe case of COVID? Um, we can extrapolate numbers that we think are true, but we don't know for sure yet. Got this it. is still something we need to know. What it did indicate, though, is that since the UK, like most places, this is where a lot of this was focused initially. Since they vaccinated older people first, which we did too, mm -hmm. uh, that means it was a while ago. They've had their vaccines some of them the longest. Yeah. Um, also frontline workers and all that. But, I mean, if you're over 65, you got your vaccine quite a while ago. If you're over 80, maybe even longer. Yeah. Um, and because they are older, they generate less of an immune response possibly. So maybe they're getting to be at higher risk. Okay. That is one concern that was generated by this. The further out we get from them being vaccinated, we start to worry. 
Um, it also called into question the – if you remember in the UK, they initiated a policy of let's get everybody one shot and we'll ex- increase – Yeah, right. Remember, they were yeah, they increased yeah. the interval between the first and second dose yeah. in order just to get everybody vaccinated as quickly as possible. Yeah. And if – if one shot provides you a really good level of immunity, that strategy makes a ton of sense. But if one shot doesn't, that strategy starts to make less and less sense. Yeah. This is I think this is part of why this got so much um sort of like alarming traction mm-hmm. is that that specific idea that maybe we could just get everybody one shot as fast as possible and then get the second one whenever our supply catches up. Mm-hmm. That idea kind of crumbles in the face of this Delta variant. Sure, yeah. Um, I, there's a lot of math to figure out exactly, you know, well, how long can we wait and how much effectiveness does it still have and all right. this. But I think that is part of why this got so much more press. Um, the AstraZeneca and the Johnson have also indicated less efficacy against these other variants, um, but we're not really sure what that means yet for the Delta um, okay. They haven't. They haven't done this. This that the Lancet published was the really the first really good piece of chunk of data yeah, we just have on the, just about on the, the Delta. Pfizer. Yes, and it's just on the Pfizer. The Moderna we don't know. A lot of people have said like we should probably extrapolate whatever Pfizer has to Moderna because they're very similar. They're yeah. both mRNA vaccines, but we can't say that for sure. We just don't know. So what do you do with this information? Uh, I would say, one, if you're not vaccinated, I would start that process as soon as possible. Yeah, might as well go get one um, if you can. And two, if for some reason you were considering not getting your second shot and you've already had the first one, I would reconsider and mm-hmm. get the second shot. Because while the old the old variants, maybe you were okay with that one shot, the new variants, it is less likely that the one shot's going to get you there. It still could. It's just less likely. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's like there's not a lot of other takeaway that the average person can do with this information. The vaccine still works super well. Nothing changed. Mm-hmm. It just stresses more that we need everybody to get vaccinated Please. and everybody to get fully vaccinated. Um, pay attention. There there may be a booster at some point. That's the other thing that a lot of people are talking about is, well, from this data, are we thinking like we're going to need to not just get a booster of the same thing, but a booster that has been – you know, tinkered with just a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, especially with these mRNA. Broaden your coverage a little bit. Yes. Or maybe our booster, you know, there are a lot of, like the flu vaccine, for instance. The flu vaccine doesn't just have one flu strain in it, right? Mm -hmm. We know this. It usually is made up of four different strains, three A's and a B. Right. Well, maybe the future covid vaccines will have more than one Mm. in them you know maybe they'll have this wild type alpha all this stuff that it covers really well and we'll throw in something that's a little bit changed to better cover these delta and gamma and beta variants okay that's all that that's what that's why this information is important it doesn't mean that you at home should be scared of anything it means that the scientists who make the vaccines are figuring this stuff out. It's information for them, but then it gets published in the lay media and all these words like scarier. That yeah. just shouldn't even apply. Yeah, it's 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 pretty irresponsible. So, if you're still not convinced with all this. I am. <laughs> but let's say somebody isn't. I've I just am, told you I why am. all this information means is more than ever get the vaccines that are available because mm-hmm. they are still incredibly effective and safe and you should get them everyone who is eligible should get them um if you're still not convinced how about a truck yeah or maybe a lottery ticket do you want to get entered into a million dollar lottery yeah 
Or would you like a $100 gift card? Or a savings bond? Which would you prefer if you're a young person? A $100 gift card or a savings bond? I'm just going to keep getting vaccines until I hit it big, I guess. You want a free ride to college? Oh, yeah. Or a free beer? It depends on which state you're in, which one you're getting (laughs) offered. Or, 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 how about a gun? Oh, That'll be the one I win. You watch. I'm just going to open a box that says Fragile on the outside. And that'll be my gun from West Virginia. Thanks for your participation in vaccination. Here's a gun. These are all, in fact, incentives being used to encourage people to get the vaccines. These are all true, depending on where you are in the country. Um, and while uh, our state, West Virginia, has become the butt of a whole slew of new jokes just what we needed that i don't appreciate um (laughs) because of this uh i will tell you that uh, let me separate this out first of all i'm just going to say i'm going to qualify this with i do not believe we should be giving guns away for vaccines yeah or Um, period really no we have um a gun violence problem you might say That's in the United States of America, yeah. just <laughs> we from have all the gun violence. We have right with all the gun violence and other than mass that, shootings it's not even that and much shooting of, deaths. But other than those, all, yeah. But so, like, I don't, I don't support that incentive. No. So let me just put that out there. Yeah. Now that being said, the idea of vaccine incentives is evidence based. We mm-hmm. do have studies and data that say this isn't. This isn't like a wild idea. Um, We've largely studied this in the past in families, like looking at childhood vaccination rates. Mm -hmm. So like how can you incentivize families to get their kids vaccinated? Um, We've also done some studies in people experiencing homelessness. How can you encourage people experiencing homelessness to come get different vaccines as they've been offered uh, through the years? I think one was on like hepatitis B. We've been doing this since 1980. And so we have like big meta analyses, which are we take a, bunch of studies, and then analyze all the data from those all together. Um, And we have those from different countries, too. The U.S. has done it. Australia has done it. Germany has done it. Different places all over the world have done this for a long time to try to get people vaccinated. And they've done things like money, gift cards, food vouchers, a lot of stuff aimed at families. So, like, here's a gift card for various baby products that you might need, Um, lottery tickets, uh, government vouchers for child care assistance. All these things have been used to increase vaccine uptake. And we know that even modest incentives do work. Like, it's true. If we if you have a fixed incentive, if you get the vaccine, then you will get this. Mm-hmm. We have plenty of data that shows that there is definitely a subset of the population that is vaccine hesitant, but not vaccine, you know, not anti-vaccine. And those vaccine hesitant people, for some of them, it's just a matter of... <sighs> They're a little anxious about it, and they're busy, and it's one more thing to have to do, and they just – they haven't gotten around to it, and there's probably a part of, like, fear there, too, and that if you can just give them sort of the right motivational thing, they'll overcome that hesitancy and go do it. Now, I am not going to suggest that this is the only way to do that, um, but this definitely works for some people. Um, They've also found – you know, if you care about such things, that it's cost effective to provide money to people to go get vaccines um, mm. because of all the money you save taking care of very sick people from the diseases that the vaccines prevent. Right. Uh, they have also found that a benefit is that it provides this increased contact between healthcare workers and patients who are like, hey, come get your kid vaccinated. And then when you bring them in there, they ask you about other things and you build your relationship and you take better care of people. And so, like, there are other reasons 
why this is good. Um, that being said, because if you're going to talk about something like this, you need to talk about the concerns and the possible right. harms. Obviously, the appearance of coercion isn't great. Right. And I think what we're seeing that play out is that that, that one – and it's a very small percentage of the population. I think one study estimated at like 14% who have said like, absolutely no, no way, no problem. COVID-19 isn't a problem for me. And so I would never even consider the vaccine. That percentage of the population sees this as more evidence as to why they shouldn't get the vaccine. Right. Yeah. Well. Why would yeah. the government give me money? What are you trying to do to me? What's Gosh, the conspiracy? This, this, These past few <laughs> months have been an absolute but, test of my... But we weren't going to reach those people anyway. I know, we I weren't. know, but they're still human beings. It's like so. I know. As I know. a humanist, it's like a very, a very challenging time. I try to look at this from a public health standpoint. And if somebody is never going to get vaccinated, no matter what I say, but there are ten other people who, if I can talk to them about the right concern, answer the right question, help them traverse the right barrier, they will get vaccinated. The better use of my time as a science communicator is those 10 people because right. that one person who believes that Bill Gates and microchips and 5G and government conspiracies, do you know I'm, how, ne I'm never going to convince Do you them. know how expensive microchips are right now? <laughs> do you know how bad of a microchip short? There are a, a truck sitting in Ford plants that they can't put out the door because they don't have enough microchips. But no, they're just like giving they're just putting them in your arm See, it's so stupid when you say that you know that there's going to be somebody out there saying but why do you think there's a shortage of microchips because right the now? raw materials are because they're in the vaccines I can't. I they're can't. they're obviously not in the vaccines i was being no, facetious I know, um, I know, there's no microchips in the vaccines just you know vaccine anyway um <laughs> you have to be especially careful though not just because of this sort of like fringe conspiracy stuff but also we're dealing with vulnerable populations in a lot of these studies where they've done this, like children or people experiencing homelessness, who you could use financial incentives as a form of coercion. And you you don't want that to be, you know, you're motivating people, you're helping people make good choices by giving them something that makes their life a little easier, which is why, like, for, for all these programs for childhood vaccination, they found things that were very focused on families, like a food voucher. Mm-hmm was helpful um, because it does help to address. So some people have been asked, like, why are you not getting the vaccine? And there are a lot of places in the U.S. where there are communities um, of people who are still concerned about, like, cost because we haven't communicated effectively that the vaccine is free to everybody. And I know through my personal experience uh, helping someone else get a vaccine, like navigate that process, helping get them signed up for a vaccine appointment. That when you sign up at certain locations, they at, they tell you to bring your insurance card. Yeah. If you are uninsured, you might see that and think, oh, well, I can't get it. I don't have insurance, and I don't know how much it's going to cost, so I'm not going to go. And it doesn't say on those forms, also, you get the vaccine for free whether you have insurance or not. Right. We would We're just, just like to bill your insurance if we could to offset the cost. Yes, to the government. But we have not communicated well still as a as a nation the vaccine is free to everyone period and whether or not you have an insurance card to present it doesn't matter you still get the vaccine right we haven't we haven't communicated that well and we could do that there are other people who have heard about these accounts of people saying like well i took the day off of work after i got my second shot because i had so many side effects and so i wanted to make sure i could recover there are a lot of people who can't afford to take a day off of work just right. to recover from vaccine side effects. And so they're really hesitant to get the vaccine 
because they're trying to find a time in their schedule where they can be sick for a day. So I don't think we've communicated effectively that the majority of people won't need to do that. Yeah. You know, most people won't need to do that. We also haven't said like, how about this? How about we'll uh, give you your vaccine and we'll pay you to take a day off work if you need to recover from it. Like that's well, a thing a country could do. You're talking about a functional country though, sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you want to live in a functional country. Or I mean like the bigger systemic issues, which is like you should be able to take sick leave when you're sick. Here she goes. And you shouldn't have to lose your job or lose your pay. You know, the, the, Here that's she goes. a functional society Old would doctor provide that. want to live in a functional country. But instead we have people go to work sick to their own detriment and the detriment of everyone around them and then you get a pandemic. Yeah, we have an adversarial relationship between the the you know the medical establishment and patients anyway right now and so it just seems like another brick in the wall the mm-hmm. trust there is very is very low here in our in our country there's more we could do we could be taking more vaccines out to the people um, centralizing them isn't always the most effective there, there are a lot more things we could do than just giving incentives but there is a demographic of people for whom this will work, and it's so um, – generally speaking, studies have found it to be a low-risk, low-harm intervention um, and cost-effective. So if that is the case, even if it's only a chunk that we're getting of the unvaccinated, that's a chunk that wasn't getting vaccinated that will now. Um, it might be working. Ohio claimed that you know they announced a lottery. Right, Their governor is doing a, a few different things, and one of them was a lottery. And in the days after he announced that lottery, they stated the Department of Health in Ohio said that they had a 28% jump in vaccines given in the days following that announcement um, when they had been sort of like lagging in their numbers. Um, they they did studies of this ahead of time. People have been asking this question for a while. Like for months now, people have been out there trying to figure out what works, like yeah. secretly doing studies on us to try to figure out how we would respond and yeah. what would get us vaccinated. Um they asked, like, if we gave you money, would you get vaccinated? And what they found is, like, two-thirds of those surveyed had a price. I got there that. was a number. You got a number. And for a third of them, it was $100 or less. Nice. <laughs> so for a third of people, 100 bucks will get you vaccinated. Write the check. I mean, I don't I – don't, I, don't, I think the coercion thing is silly. Who cares? Well, Who cares if it's I, coercion? You, no, you always need to – Coercion? Okay, hold on. We, we use coercion – in every facet of society, we coerce people by giving them tax incentives for behaviors that we approve of as a society. We have celebrities who are telling people to go out and I mean, like that's it's coercion. Like it's it's all coercion. You have to think about things like so the um, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has had to issue guidance on this in terms of like employers, right? What can they? to avoid them coercing their employees into receiving vaccines. Um, they've had to issue guidance because of this kind of thing. Because if you're an employer and you're like, hey, I'll give you a day off if you get the vaccine and we're the ones giving you the vaccine, then it, it starts to – it gets icky. Why? It gets dangerous. Why? They, what they've said is that if it's a third party, if they're like, if you just bring us proof that you got vaccinated, it's fine, but – we don't want to set the precedent that the employer can start giving you medications and they can fire you if you won't take them. I understand this This vaccine is different. I understand that. But, like, I, do you trust big business to have that power? Or do you want somebody independently saying, okay, look, these vaccines are great. Yes, you should encourage your workers to get them. But, like, let's be careful how we do it. Let's just make sure we're doing it in an ethical way. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's a fair, that's a fair point. 
I mean, really. <laughs> it's a fair, I mean, it's not, uh, yes, that's a fair point. Because if they can save money by cutting out bathroom breaks and having their employees pee in bottles, you know, maybe, for example, just a wild example I came up with off the top of my head, they'll do that. So what else? Yeah, no, it's it's fair. There's always limits. Um, but I, I, the point is, we have an established track record that in various programs throughout the world, they have given people cash. Cash is usually pretty effective <laughs> to get a vaccine. And they've gone and gotten the vaccine. And a lot of those people were going to get it anyway, right? Like that, I mean, we're not dealing with people who were absolutely against the vaccine and then said, well, okay, but for $100, I'll do it. Right. Um, those people have probably made up their minds. But there are a lot of people for whom getting the vaccine is a perceived burden. And if there is something given to them to offset the burden of getting the vaccine, there, they're there, more likely to get it. There's, And I know that there are a, a portion of the, the, the population that is like, vaccine hesitant in the literal sense where they're like, I will go get it. Just like I I need to, I'm procrastinating, vaccine procrastinators. Mm -hmm. Either it's, I want to see how it goes with everybody else. That's a big Which, one. Which by the way, chill impulse. Very <laughs> cool of you. I'm going to see how it goes with you guys. And then, you know, I'll maybe dip my toe in. If you guys haven't grown a third, third nipple or it's, something like it's what a whack thing to do, but it's also like, I don't know. I just haven't had time to do it. I know I need to do it, but like, I just haven't had time because there's, cause we, we have people who are like barely getting by. So like, yeah, it's not that he, you know, look at the voting rate, you know, that's, that's a hugely important thing. That'd be great if everybody did and we don't make it easy for anybody. No, no, I would say that, um, as challenging as it may have been at some times during this process to get a vaccine, it is way easier right now to get a COVID vaccine than it is to vote for yeah. many, many Americans. Yeah. If you can believe that in our in our what shining hill of democracy, whatever the heck we say we are. Anyway, um, the the only other thing is I thought it was really interesting as I was reading about the history of these incentives and like the idea is this helpful? Which again, it it seems it will be. It seems it, or at least it could be. It's a good it's a good effort. Um, they have been trying to figure out how to get us to take this vaccine this whole time. Uh, one of the things they did a study on, they did surveys and found was that um, there were a proportion, especially of people who identified as Republicans, who were more likely to get vaccinated if it meant that they didn't have to wear a mask anymore. Democrats said they were too, but Republicans even more so. Um, and you got to wonder when you saw like the CDC issue the guidance that if you're vaccinated, you no longer have to wear a mask. Yeah. You got to wonder how much of that didn't come from this idea that we have all these people, we really need to get vaccinated and they're just not. And maybe if we incentivize them this way, they'll get vaccinated. I mean, I would argue that a smarter way of doing that would have been like, if we can get to this number as a society, then we can walk it back. So there's like peer pressure to get people well, rather I would, than just I like, let's all go honor system on it. Cause it's like, I'm sorry, you walk around now anymore. And I don't know how it is across the, the country, but you walk around indoors in West Virginia anymore. There is zero mask adherence, which like, I know the vaccination rates here and they ain't a hundred percent. Like no, absolutely not. No, so, I mean, like, I think it was a risky play. I'm not saying I necessarily endorse it. I, I think it was a very risky play. I think, and this is a whole other subject, so I'm not going to get into it. I think especially children have been, completely left out of yeah. the thought process for the rest of this my kid my kids still have to wear masks which we have told people from the beginning are to protect you from other people so or to, to protect other people from you so yes excuse me so like they have to wear the mask even though we've been told that like 
That's not what it's designed for. Yet all these other adults, unvaccinated adults, can just hang around, no problem. Like, yeah. It sucks. It's it's really it's 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 been very um, upsetting to me. Not just as a parent, but like I'm a human and kids are humans, and I care about them just like I care about other human adults. Um, to see that how much they've been left out of the conversation as we move forward. Because the thing is, like, I agree that, like, kids benefit from being able to be around people and other kids. And I agree that we needed to move in a direction where we could get kids in school and safely in places and all that. But the, the kids don't mind to wear the masks. Anybody who's out there saying, like, these masks are harmful to kids, have you been around kids wearing masks? Yeah, they don't care. It, they are better at it than adults. They are. They just wear them. And they don't really think about it because they're getting to, you know, go places again. And so if they have to wear a mask, they'll do it. Um, the masks weren't harming them. The masks weren't harming us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, but that's a whole other issue. Anyway, all of this being said, I would like to apologize on behalf of our our country that we are having this conversation about how can we pay people to get vaccinated when there are so many places in the world where people would pay <laughs> to get vaccinated or walk miles or I know. whatever to get a vaccine and they just don't have them. We have like, I think one per one statistic said we have like more vaccines than people right now and we can't pay people to get vaccinated. It's, it's, I know. I and I, so, so I know, and I know, I know. Like from a moral standpoint, there's a part of I, when I hear people cry for like, if the if these people in the U.S. don't want them, send them somewhere else where they'll take them. I mean, I understand that. I I understand that feeling. Um, I I do think like it's a systemic failure. It's not the fault of every individual who's vaccine hesitant. It's the fault of our institutions that have right. failed us educationally on all levels. But um. <sighs> um but anyway, sign yeah. up in West Virginia. And hey, if nothing else, I told I told mom, I said, mom, I don't know what I would do if I want a gun. I don't want a gun. I don't have guns and I wouldn't own guns. So what would I do with a gun? And she said, well, maybe you can like dispose of it somehow and rid the planet of one more gun. That's sure. That's how <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how one disposes of a gun. I, you just throw it in the woods. I don't think that's it. I have to look that up. Can. Like, what do you do if you just want to get a gun out of circulation? Throw it, throw it in Where, the woods. What do I do with As far this? as you can. 10, 20 feet in but the woods. But that's my deep. plan. I'm If I were to be the recipient. Don't, don't email us about how to get rid of a gun. Well, if we if it becomes an issue, we'll let you know. <laughs> thank you so much. We won't be getting guns. Thank you worry. so much for listening to our program. Um, we wanted to let you know. I have a, I have a quick plug. Um I was in the narrator for a horror anthology series called Bad Vibes. I play a character called Mr. Boogie. He's like a kind of a scary gentleman. Mm. Yeah, and and he's the host of the show and he narrates it. And they got a lot of great writers and a lot of great uh, stories. Um, it's made by a company called Q Code, and I am the the narrator of it. And and it, it, a lot of people have said good stuff about it. It's cool. It's coming three D audio. So if you listen with headphones, which I would recommend, it kind of like. Sounds like you know stuff to the right, mm. or you know, that kind of stuff. Spooky. It's cool. It's called Bad Vibes. Um, so please check it out if you if you get a chance. And please get vaccinated, please. Well, Sid, we should have led with that. Now I look like a real heel. <laughs> I'm Sheesh. just saying, please. Sheesh, Sid. Ask your friends and neighbors and family. Like encourage people. Talk it up. Help yeah. people find dispel myths. There is no uh, cost. There is no microchip. 
Spread the word. Safe, free, and effective. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to you. That's going to do it for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.